Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so happy you're with us today. Here on Seek Reality, we're trying to make sense of an extremely confusing greater reality that's, in fact, nothing like the extremely solid-seeming and basically normal-seeming reality that we think we see around us. In actual truth, we now know that nothing is solid. We know that all that exists is what we experience in a dim way as human consciousness, and that consciousness is, in fact, the only thing that actually does exist. It's what primitive people first began to call God. It's what, what we now know as the highest Godhead. In a reality without time, it continuously manifests this whole reality around us, this Material seeming universe is a place where where we come to learn spiritual lessons only. And there's so much going on, frankly, that we have no idea about. But we're gradually coming to put it all together. We seek reality and we're now beginning to find it. But I have to tell you, there are still a few things that I personally am struggling to fathom. And some of the hardest things for me to understand are right here on earth and they're all around us. And in fact, there are other people. Because we've been doing these Seek Reality episodes for eight years now, and there are are a lot more people listening than I realize. I've stopped counting a long time ago and I don't even want to know how many people listen. But we get a lot of submissions from agents nowadays, which is one way I know we also have a lot of listeners. And we've stopped taking most submissions from agents because um, we, we don't have the time right now. I, because I'm a kid in a candy store, I have trouble saying no. Um, we're now booking about nine months to a year ahead and that's not fair to anybody. So we've stopped taking those submissions at this point. Um, and once in a while though, I, I have to take, I have to take a new submission, and today's guest is one of those people that I, I just felt I had to take. Linda Lee Blakemore is an adult victim of childhood sexual abuse. Her first book was Kids Helping Kids Break the Silence of Sexual Abuse, and it tells the story of 15 survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Her second book is called Entrenched a memoir of holding on and letting go. And it's her own memoir of what being an adult survivor of childhood sexual abuse did to her life. It's due out in a few days. I read it last weekend. And I think that last weekend, I also ate meals. I think I probably slept, but I couldn't put this book down. Linda, welcome. It's good to have you with us today. Thank you very much. Even though you took away my weekend, thank you for being here. I'm so sorry. It's interesting to me when we, you know, can read something that can engulf us and help us not only to hopefully be a little bit entertained, but also to really think. Here's my problem. Very few things trouble me anymore in my life. I've seen a lot. And and the things that that trouble most people don't trouble me at all. I mean, people think 
death. Well, there's a bad time. Well, you know, everybody knows that I think death is a joy. I mean, my book was called The Fun of Dying. And that t- actually that title comes from people who are actually dead, The Fun of Dying. People don't realize that once you're out of your body, the day, the, the day you die is the happiest day of your life. All those wonderful things like death don't bother me at all. Those things are fine. I'm not even troubled by some of the most awful things that people now nowadays think are, are terrible things. But one thing I cannot grasp is the thought that people would sexually abuse a child. I can't, I can't get that. So then I, I see that this book is being offered to me as a book that I could talk about. And it comes so well recommended. I mean, a lot of people I respect have, have read your work and recommended it. I couldn't say no to your book. And I do read the books that people submit to me. A lot of people who will, will take a book from someone and, and say, Oh, yes, I'll, I'll, you know, read your book and I'll interview you. They, they don't read the book. Well, I read the book. That's one reason that very often, um, we'll, we'll have people over and over again. And, 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 uh, rather than my taking new, new, uh, people, uh, and, and, and re- not reading their book and just maybe skimming the, the, uh, the the questions that are offered by the person who gives us the 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 book and and not uh, not reading I do read the books but darn it I could not imagine some of the things that 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 people do to little children there's nothing more less there's nothing less sexual than a child let's be really frank about this and how could anybody harm a little child this is something which, I'm sorry, gets me. This is the one thing I think probably that gets me. And I finally decided I've got to confront this one thing that bothers me so much. And I'm, I've asked you to come, to Linda, today to help me get rid of this thing that always has bothered me so much. And I'm going to confront it today with you. Tell me, what is this thing that somehow people think is okay? And apparently, broadly, priests abuse children. How is that possible? Explain it, please, to me, please. Child sexual abuse is is not something that I think I can explain to anyone. I, I don't know that I understand why anyone would be interested in such activity with someone so innocent, except that, you know, it's there's a you can have a power over a child and you can easily manipulate a child. And so from, from that perspective of opportunity, and I, I have to believe in my heart that pedophiles are not born, but are in fact made. Um, and I, I have to hope in my heart, although the, the statistics show otherwise, I have to hope in my heart that they can be rehabilitated. Um, again, the statistics don't support that. What, what I have come to understand is that the average pedophile touches the lives of 200 children. And that oh is... Oh, my God. Are you is, serious about that? Yes. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's hard to even say it. It's hard to digest it. Um, but it's a very intimate crime. So children have to be available um, and to be vulnerable, you know, privately. 
Um, so a lot of a lot of times it's a trust. It's a building of trust. It's a building of um, intimacy with not only the child, but the family members, um, you know, babysitters, um, priests, you know, coaches. We, you know, we see all this going on in situations where someone is responsible for a child, in charge of a child and uh, alone with a child. Um, and Linda, it's really please, tragic. Please, please back up a step and explain to me why. Because, again, I, I, I've, I've been around children all my life. Um, I was one once. Um, I, I look at children. There is nothing less sexy than a child. Let's be really frank about this. A little kid? Kids are not sexy. I, I, nope. Male or female children, they're just not. I mean, they're a little kid. I don't get it. I just don't understand it. There's nothing attractive about them. They're like a little lump of kid. That's all. What's, do you know why? Is it, you, you said something which I thought, okay, maybe that's why a little bit. Is it a power thing? The kid is little. And, and if you are a powerless feeling person, maybe there's, maybe you can have a sense of power over that child. You can do something to that child that the child can't fight back. Is that why? A little I, bit? I, don't, I don't know that that I really understand it. Um, I, I think it's opportunity. It, you know, the, the person who is is doing this has a has a need, um, a sexual need that is unlike anything you or I understand. Um, and when the opportunity presents themselves, they groom a child. They create a relationship. And in, in, in my circumstance, it was a it was a relationship where, you know, promises were made, gifts were given, special, you know, special opportunities. I, I can remember one time when um, I had gone to a, a little local carnival type fair and um, I was allowed to ride the Ferris wheel and my sister wasn't. Now, maybe it was just genuine. Maybe she wasn't allowed to ride it because she wasn't big enough. I don't remember. But, um, you know, I went along with the uh, relationship, if you, if you want to call it that. It's kind of a, I don't know what other word to use, but the manipulation. Um, I was promised things. I was given things. I was, I was not hurt. I was not... Um, I, I was manipulated <laughs> I would, and, and a child's easy to manipulate. They believe you when you say things. And if you follow through a little bit, then they believe that you're going to follow through a lot. Um, you make promises to a child and they're, they're very easy to, um, to win over. Um, and a child, children want to be loved and accepted and they want to feel special. And, and people who do this understand that about children. They know how to make a child feel really special. And one of the interesting things that um, I came across when I was doing some of my research for the first book was it's not unusual for the, the perpetrator to actually be attracted to very attractive children. So if you have a family with a couple of children, he might, and it's not always a, a male perpetrator, but it is most often a male perpetrator. So I'll, I'll use the word he. Um, he 
might actually, you know, single out the prettiest child, um, the, the most bubbly child. Uh, it, it, it's an interesting dynamic. And I, I'm sure that there are people who have studied it from a professional uh, viewpoint. I, I have not. I, I think um, my study of it has been from the standpoint of one, understanding uh, how to protect children. Um, and secondly, as an adult survivor, understanding the impact that it had not only on my life as a child, but what I didn't realize was the depth of impact that it had on my life, even as an adult, even as a, as a mother. That, that's something which I, I, I never thought of either. I mean, there's so much I hadn't thought about, except it sort of creeps into your mind as you more and more see evidence of it in, in your adult life. I mean, um, I've seen, um, I know of a situation where someone went to prison, um, someone that I knew slightly went to prison for possessing child pornography. I mean, that's such a, those two words together, child pornography, I cannot imagine those two words even being in the same sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we all know what's happened in the Catholic Church. Um, um, priests moved from, from parish to parish because they were abusing altar boys. I mean, abusing altar boys, those are other words you would never would I until recently for most of my life, I would never would have imagined those words in the same sentence. It's it's uh, Linda, it's a, as if for most of my life, I never imagined any of this stuff could have happened. And yet it's been going on around us for our whole lives. Well, you knew it because it was going on more in your life. But then we look back at our lives. And do you know, I think someone tried to do it to me too. And I, I somehow protected myself. I didn't know. I had a horse as a child and my parents hired a teenager in the neighborhood to take care of my horse. And one day that teenager took me into the barn. I've never told this story in my life. I'm telling it now in public. I must have been maybe six or seven, he took me into the barn and he sat me on his lap. I don't think anything else happened beyond that. But I realize now that's what he was doing. He was trying to abuse me. He was was, trying to begin to um, groom you. Yes. Yes. Isn't this horrible? What, what is wrong with human beings that they do this? I wish I knew because if we knew that maybe we could fix it. But I do believe it's been going on for as long as human beings have walked the planet. And the other thing that I know is that when children are home for the holidays or home for the summer, and as we have seen these last two years at home from for COVID, um, the rates of abuse skyrocket because children are stuck, trapped in these environments where this stuff can occur. So school is one place and it's not always the safest place, but for many, many children, it is a very safe place for them to be. Okay. 
so um and and I'm, i i guess i apologize to everyone for being sounding so distressed right now but i just read your book it's so much on my mind which it really hadn't been and i will adjust as we do adjust but parents i think are going to need to be much more hyperactive hyper aware about this than I ever was because I was a clueless parent. We don't want to be clueless parents. If this is a possibility for our children, we want to be much more aware than I ever was. I think my parent, my kids were fine, but I I need to probably ask them that question. What, What do parents need to think about with regard to their children? How, how do we protect our children from, from being abused this way? I mean, your your parents well, didn't protect you. They didn't know to protect you. That's correct. They did not know. And the truth of the matter is I would not have said anything even if they had asked because I had a relationship with this person and I would have protected that relationship and protected him. It was the child's version of the Cinderella story. It It was something that I valued because I felt valued. I felt that he valued me. Right. Children will oftentimes not tell you. However, I will say to parents, having an ongoing conversation about good touching and bad touching. Um, in my first book, uh, Kids Helping Kids Break the Silence of Sexual Abuse, the chapters are broken down. They are designed for a parent or a professional to read with a child to teach them uh, what is sexual abuse, how are children manipulated, um, who is likely to abuse, what to do if you suspect abuse. Um, and, and the short answer is we as parents need to be hypervigilant about our children. If we notice changes in behavior, perhaps nightmares, bedwetting, um, a child doesn't want to go somewhere or do something that they perhaps wanted to participate in prior. There's always a a child doesn't always have the words, particularly for this kind of a topic, which is far beyond the, the, you know, the verbal ability of a child, but they can show us in other ways that something is not right. And we must be vigilant enough to notice those changes, to, to ask our, our child in a, you know, in a, in a soft, kind, caring way that will allow them the opportunity to, to answer us, to protect them, to believe them, um, and to keep them safe. You know, we all, as, as adults, want to have an evening out, right, with our spouse or our partner. We want to go out. We want to have a nice dinner and leave the children with a babysitter. Um, these are these are normal things to want to have. And a, and a good babysitter can be, you know, a godsend, right? The children love Absolutely. this person and, oh, sure. you know, they can't wait for them to come. But if you have more than one child, um, you, you can perhaps tend to see. For example, my abuse took place at the home of my grandmother, my father's mother. And uh, my sister hated going there. That was a sign. That should have been a sign for my mom. And of course, she didn't know. I've never blamed my parents. They had had no way of knowing. Um, But 
that was a sign. I wanted to go, but my sister didn't want to go. Right. We were treated differently. Um, so those are just some of the things, but I, I would definitely encourage parents to, there are books out there like mine, other books out there, read on the subject, make it a conversation about what people are and are not allowed to do. And if your child doesn't want to hug somebody goodbye or hello, or doesn't want to give grandma a kiss, hello or goodbye, the child should be allowed to set boundaries for his or her own body. Yes, they should be respectful of their elders, but it's okay that they don't want to engage physically. You, you, you have to empower them a little bit to be in control of their body and to understand that you know, no one should be touching them in, in that kind of a way and that they should, they should speak up if somebody does. But children are, aren't all, they're, they're, sometimes they're afraid, sometimes they feel responsible, sometimes the abuser will tell them it's their fault. Sometimes the oh, abuser will oh. threaten to hurt a sibling or, you know, um, hurt a family member if they tell. So children can be controlled because they don't understand the power that they have by speaking out. They're little. Yeah, they're little. They don't have experience. But you say it's more men or male or males, young males, I would say. I mean, I mean it seems to be teenagers using using um children uh, uh, because they have a, a sexual desire and they don't have a sexual partner that seems to be what happened in your case does that is that more common i i cuz i'm trying to understand and certainly with priests they're not allowed to have their own sexual partner so the so they were they were using the altar boys instead. I, I'm trying to understand this. This is so grotesque to me. Why people do this, but at, at least if they're not allowed to have a, a partner, that's an ex- explanation of sorts. I think um, I, I think that some people, regardless of age or whether or not they have a partner in their life, just have a just are wired differently um, and perhaps have this desire or need um, regardless of how old they are. Uh, My, the, the person who perpetrated on me did in fact in, I don't know the whole time, but you know, as he, as I say in the book, I mean, he, he was practicing because he wanted to be <laughs> oh, he Lord. wanted to be good. You know, he wanted to be better. He didn't want to disappoint, I guess. Um, or at least that's what he said to me. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I can't really speak to why anybody would do something that I don't understand or agree with or even could find the capacity in my heart to figure out why. I, I really don't know. Perhaps these people have been, were also victims and that's what they know. That was their first sexual experience and therefore they're repeating it. I, I don't I don't know. What I can tell you is that facing these issues, a lot of times these issues don't, the, the repressed memory is so strong to protect us as we're going through our lives that a lot of times we don't even remember 
these experiences have happened to us until something triggers our memory. Like you, you said, you know, this is the first time you've thought about this, reading a book, or perhaps there's a time in your life when you're going through a struggle and or you're strong enough and your body starts to allow you to remember. My memories came back in the form of nightmares. Yeah. And it was a nightmare right. that I had as a child that started to recur. And I didn't make the connection at all, of course, because I didn't know why I was having that nightmare as a child. So, um, but it was the relationship with my second to be second husband, my fiance, that brought the whole thing to a head. And um, I believe that as adults, these things are a part of us and continue to form who we are and how we respond to ourselves, our world around us, the choices we make for jobs, housing, and most especially partners until we can confront it. My choice of my second husband was my need, my body, my mind, my soul taking me back to confront what I had not confronted prior. Um, there's an old saying that we choose our partners based on our unresolved childhood issues. And the question there is why? Well, certainly some people do it to perhaps try to gain control over something they did not have control over as a child. But for me, I did it because I was trying to have the happy ending I did not get as a child. Oh, as crazy okay. as it would have been to have that happy ending yeah. then, I wasn't going to have the happy ending now either. But I didn't know that at the time because yeah. I was doing this very unconsciously. You know, I, it, this person was 15 years older than me. You know, yeah. the, the perpetrator was, I think, 12 years older than me. So there was many similarities in the relationship, the way I was treated, how I was loved and um, rewarded when I was, you know, terrific and went along with the program and how I he withheld love, both of them withheld love for me when I didn't go along with the program. And um, yeah. so, you know, I was, I was sitting in the office of the Pittsburgh action against rape. Um, and I dismissed this, I guess, because I wasn't ready yet to confront it or to absorb it or even process it. When, you know, she said to me, um, he's, he's a lot like your uncle. And I said, well, I was talking about my uncle. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what, right. she was talking about my husband or the man who would eventually be my ex-husband. So the similarities were just so, so yeah. much that um, it, it made me think. And, and I have to say that, you know, my second marriage wasn't always, it wasn't always bad, but um, there were certainly good times in there and there was kind and loving moments and, 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 and wonderful memories made. But the whole reason that I needed that relationship was to go back and confront what I had not confronted as a child. And he was not going to change. So um, I knew 
staying with a man who left was going to keep me entrenched in the very thing I needed to move beyond, which is how we came up with the name for the book. Yeah. And I had totally forgotten about that experience when I was very small, totally not thought about it in decades. Mm -hmm. And it came to my mind as I'm reading your book. And, and so then with, with, with Harlan, with this, with this, he must've been 15 or something when, um, when he, he took me in the barn and put me in his lap and I'm desperately trying to remember what else happened. What else happened? Did he abuse me? Did he, I cannot for the life of me, remember anything except that he put me in his lap. I don't believe anything else happened, Linda, but I can't remember. I can't remember. Did I block it? I can't remember. Nothing else comes back to me. If I found for me that journaling, that the whole process of writing was for me um, a journaling exercise to understand what was happening in my second marriage. I started journaling because I didn't understand the things I was feeling, the things I was remembering, the things that uh, my second husband was doing. In fact, at one point um, I said to to a friend of mine when I was writing Entrenched, um, I started writing to understand the demons inside Jack and what I discovered were the demons inside of me. Yeah. Uh, But don't you think I'd have demons if, if anything else had ever happened? I do remember as I thought about it more that he wanted me to go back in the barn with him and I never would do it again. It was like, I was creeped out by the thought of it, but I've been married for 49 years. I think I would have had a much less healthy life if it had ever gone beyond that. He had me in his lap. I I don't know though. Isn't it awful not to remember anything like that? I don't I, know. I, I, I do better not to remember probably. <laughs> right. I didn't remember. I don't think, no, I don't think not remembering. I think if, if you would know, you would be able to look at your life and say, you know, I'm not sure I understand why I made that decision or why I chose that part. No, there was nothing else. I, I, I think probably I, I just, that was, he was probably, was probably starting to make me do that, but I didn't and wouldn't do it again. And so that was that probably, I don't know. That, That's, I'm not I, a therapist, but that would be my guess because oh, you good. immediately. Thank you, dear. That makes me feel better. <laughs> you, oh, you know, as you can see, when you read my book, the, the long term. Well, yeah, no, I mean, is, I, I, I probably I, I'm, I'm attracted to reading that first book, except I think I don't want to read that first book. Does that make any sense? I don't think I want to. I think I know about enough now about childhood sexual abuse for a while maybe i'll read it in another year <laughs> maybe then i'll have you back and we'll talk about the first one but because that's powerful stuff it's powerful stuff what what adult i put adults will do to children to vulnerable children who can't fight back that's mm-hmm. that's i can't begin to tell you how it hurts my heart to think of that to see what it did to your entire life. And we need to talk about that too. I, I, I think probably, we probably should move on to talk about that now because it did, it did distort your whole life, didn't it? I mean, I think your life is healthy now, right? Don't you, are you in a good marriage now? You're having a good life now? I am having a good life, but I needed to 
have that uh, experience, that was my way. You know, I, perhaps other people would be able to do it differently. I I needed to do it that way for whatever reason. Um, and I, I'm really grateful that, you know, all things considered, um, you know, I certainly could have perhaps ended up with that first gentleman that I worked with, who was not a very nice person, um, as you probably remember from the story. Um, yeah. But I, I didn't. So, you know, and I'm grateful that the person that I did marry was good, you know, good to my children. He never hurt my children or never physically hurt me. He just followed the same pattern of behavior of leaving. Um, so it was the abandonment for me that I was able to go to the Pittsburgh action against rape and I was able to deal with the, the sexual abuse and deal with all of that. What I struggled to deal with was the abandonment. And for whatever reason, I hitched my wagon to a person who kept abandoning me. And I don't know if I was trying to have a different outcome. Uh, I mean, I was certainly trying to have a different outcome. If I behave a different way, if I respond to his, you know, um, events a different way, if I don't respond at all, if I, you know, if I'm happy all the time, if I yell when he just, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I wanted to give him a good rap in the head quite a few times, actually. <laughs> exactly, and I, you know, I found myself, and what I realized was I was being hypervigilant to him and to his behaviors, and I was anticipating and I was responding, reacting is what I was doing. I was reacting. Right. What I wasn't right. doing, Roberta, I wasn't being aware of myself. I wasn't focused on me. So as a child, when you are in an abusive situation of any kind, a form of survival for a child is to be hypervigilant. You, right. you express a little bit of hypervigilance in that you know, you remember what he did and you remember that he wanted to take you back there. So you had your eyes on this guy saying, I'm not going to let him do that to me again. No, you yeah. were hypervigilant to his approach. Well, children who are in abusive, whether, you know, dad comes home drunk or mom comes home with, you know, a new boyfriend all the time or whatever the situation is, and they find themselves in an unsafe environment. Children are very hypervigilant. And that protects them. Yeah, it that's is, good. Yeah, it, it is. But you know what? The opposite happens as we are adults. Because as we're adults, not only does hypervigilant exhaust us while we're trying to raise children, clean a house, work a job, you know, do all the things we need to do, be a good wife. Um, I was so hypervigilant on my second husband that I wasn't aware of my issues of abandonment of my feelings yeah. and how I was actually the very thing that saved me as a child was the very thing that was hurting or hindering me from doing the healing I needed to do. Yeah. Um, Linda, <laughs> um, I, I, I really, you, you gave me quite a rock. It was a it was a very rocky weekend, but um, I really identified with you in your in in your life. I have to say, 
Um, so it's good to finally meet you and and see that you're having a good life now. Um, the clearly to be an abused child is is um, leads you to a, an adult life that needs healing desperately. And I'm so glad to see that you you have healed, and Thank you're you. a, you're a, not only a survivor but you have triumphed. And I'm so glad to see that. I'm so happy to see that. I'd like to leave you with one statistic. When you think about the um, effect that childhood trauma can have, a child who has been sexually assaulted is six times more likely to be raped as a teen or as an adult than someone who is not. And I think that goes back to the fact that it, it affects how we see ourselves, how we uh, interact in our worlds, um, how we expect to be treated. Um, so it really does have an, an effect that we need to, one, do everything we can in this world to protect our children and keep it from happening in the first place. Second of all, we need to be so aware of who we are and what we have been through and seek the healing that we need to keep ourselves and our children, you know, the cycle of abuse. We, we need to stop the cycle of abuse and keep our children safe. Linda Blakemore.com is her website. She speaks on childhood sexual abuse, on how to protect our children, how to help our children if they've been damaged in some way. And as you can hear, she's an eloquent speaker and advocate for children and for young women. Um, It's very hard for children to grow up um, unabused at this point. Um, this is something I, I, it turns out apparently I had a close to perfect childhood. I'm very, it's odd for me to say. And yet I, I say it. And, um, my father was an alcoholic every, who got drunk every weekend until I was 11 years old. And, and yet I still feel as if I had a perfect childhood. And then I had that experience. I, no child grows up perfectly. There's no way we can apparently escape childhood unharmed. But Linda is someone who has been there and she can help children and she can help if if you have if you need a speaker on the topic, she is someone who can speak with eloquence about how to help children to to triumph. So, uh, Linda, I think you just did a wonderful job. I'm so grateful that you came and spoke with us today. Thank you so much, my dear. Thank you, Roberta. Very what much. do you want? What do you want people to take away from today? Is there is there a message you want people to take away? The message is that we can all heal, we can all rise above, and we can all have very happy, healthy, productive lives. And once we get beyond the trauma that we have endured, it is possible to find uh, reciprocated love and truly have a fulfilling life. It's out there. It can happen. Don't give up. Don't give up. That's beautiful. Thank you, my dear. Please consider yourself hugged. (laughs) Thank you. Again, everyone, we've come to the end of our time. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so glad you were with us today. Please 
Never forget, you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began and you never will end. And when you get that, it changes everything in your life for the better. Our guest next week will be Courtney Marchesani. Courtney is the author of what a book called Four Gifts of the Highly Sensitive, and she's the developer of the Highly Sensitive Gifts Test. She was named the 2017 Hay House Writers Workshop Awards winner, and her insights into sensitivity, insights into sensitivity, I guess that's a program. It helps her readers to identify their gifts of intuition. These are the four gifts, intuition, empathy, vision, and expression, so they can maximize their potential while also learning how former traumas may have helped to shape those gifts, which to me is an interesting concept. Her health and wellness coaching style focuses on holistic medicine and finding balance while living with sensitivity. Since sensitivity is also closely interconnected within the nervous systems and brain functioning, it's not something you really want to get rid of. She's known for her intuitive and empathetic style, which emphasizes acceptance, learning how sensitivity's silent effects can impact mental, emotional, spiritual health, and wellness. And of course, this week, we've been talking with Linda Lee Blakemore. She's a speaker and an advocate for women and children because she's been through it all herself. Her first book is called Kids Helping Kids Break the Silence of Sexual Abuse. It tells the true stories of 15 child survivors. That book received prestigious endorsements from hundreds of professionals across the country. And her articles about the book appeared in national magazines, including America's Family Resource, 17, and Teen Voices. She's appeared on local, national, and international radio and television, including the Montel Williams Show. And she's traveled the country advocating for children. Today, we've been talking about her second book, which frankly wrenched me to the core. It's called Entrenched. It's a memoir of holding on and letting go. She educates modern young women with wisdom and with what, frankly, which I consider heartbreaking honesty. I spent a whole weekend with this book. I, it was a, a weekend I will never forget. It's important stuff. It's moving It's something which I think we all need to do to go more deeply with someone who is trying to get over a a, a past, which frankly, she had to get over in order to live a normal life. And many people apparently have been through this sort of thing. I didn't even know about it. Here I am. I'm an old old person now. I never knew any of these things happened. And I'm only now realizing they may even have happened to me. So this is important stuff. As you know, my my own nonfiction books are called Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, and soon, very soon now, this spring, The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught. The Fun of Meeting Jesus is a children's book, which I'm still hearing from people that their children love. You can order all these books through bookstores or on Amazon, and the adult books are available as children's books. If you want to talk to me about anything, you can always just contact me through the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net and everywhere, everywhere that podcasts can be found. Meanwhile, of course, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. 
please enjoy, please make the most for yourself and for the world of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful eternal being and you, most of all in the whole universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.